You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Here's today's spoken edition of Wired. Fighting a wildfire in Texas. Building a network to connect 40 million people to the Internet. Cutting pollution with chainsaws. Hear Chubb customers tell their stories at chubb.com slash podcast. And stay tuned after the show to hear how a burst pipe in a family's house led to an adventure. While you were offline, the Great Patagonia Protest of 2017 by Graeme McMillan. Who can even manage to get into the holiday spirit considering the whirlwind week that just passed? Not only was Southern California on fire, but several politicians resigned amid sexual harassment claims, while others continued to run for office, despite facing their own sexual abuse allegations. Yes, time continued to speed up last week, but what else happened? Just a few small things. Keep listening. This land is my land, apparently. What happened? The President of the United States wants Americans to own America, as long as it's only some Americans, and in a manner he's okay with. What really happened? In the latest phase of the plan to make America great again, last week President Trump announced moves to shrink two national monuments, claiming that, by doing so, he was freeing the lands from the control of a small handful of very distant bureaucrats located in Washington. The changes also open up the possibility of destroying hundreds of thousands of sites of archaeological importance and impacting the environment. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start with how this came about in the first place. Trump's executive order comes after Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke recommended shrinking a number of national monuments. Zinke, who is pro-coal and has connections to fossil fuel companies, was put in charge of managing public lands in the U.S. Oh... That makes a grim amount of sense. Unsurprisingly, not everyone was on board with this, um, historic decision. As the Navajo Nation joined with four other American Indian tribes to sue Trump over this decision, another protest sprouted up in a more unexpected quarter. This protest went beyond a PR stunt, with Patagonia also suing the president, with their lawsuit being no less than the fourth one filed against him over the National Monument's decision. Surely, with this kind of opposition, the president and his administration is reconsidering making this kind of move, right? Hmm, guess not. The takeaway? Trump sounded so convincing when he was explaining it all during his press conference. What happened? 
Our app Fact Check finds that Trump made several misleading statements about what is gained and lost by his reduction of national monument lands. Oh, okay. The Mueller Investigation Part 6,448,003. What happened? You know what it's like. You tell the special counsel not to do something, and he just can't resist. It's like telling someone not to think of pink elephants, except with a massive federal investigation. What really happened? Those paying attention to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into issues surrounding potential collusion between the Trump 2016 campaign and Russian forces might remember that the president had, in July, announced a red line for the investigation, his finances. I think that's a violation, he explained. I have no income from Russia. I don't do business with Russia. Why do we mention that now? Yes, last week news broke that Mueller had apparently subpoenaed records relating to Trump's finances from Deutsche Bank. That certainly seems like a big deal, doesn't it? Or maybe not. After all, the president's lawyer was quick to pour scorn on the whole thing. Well, that certainly puts that to rest, right, everyone? No, wait. We said that everything was put to rest. Stay on topic, everyone. Money laundering? That's surely far too far-fetched. Oh, that link. For those who didn't click through, links to a 2015 press release about the Trump Taj Mahal Casino Resort being fined $10 million for willful and repeated violations of the Bank Secrecy Act, with future periodic external audits to examine its anti-money laundering AML-BSA compliance program, required as a result. So, yeah. The takeaway? You may be wondering, however, so did the president's lawyer just outright lie about the subpoena? Is that legal? There's an out for those who are concerned for the moral upstandingness of J. Seculo. He might have been telling the truth, and someone else was lying. Sometimes the law turns the truth into Schrodinger's cat, apparently. Capital gains and losses. What happened? The President of the United States made good on one of his campaign promises, and in the process unleashed disaster and calamity. What really happened? When the inevitable history of the Trump administration is written... People will look back on last week as one of the more important ones, and all because of something outside U.S. borders. President Trump is expected to announce that the U.S. recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital, U.S. officials with direct knowledge and foreign diplomats say, which was followed by some more news reports. Trump plans to declare Jerusalem the capital of Israel, which was followed by a lot of nervousness. Trump is likely to declare Jerusalem as Israel's capital on Wednesday, what is the point? Is he deliberately trying to further destabilize the region and set back peace talks? And then the official announcement. Proclamation. Do hereby proclaim that the United States recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel, and that the United States Embassy to Israel will be relocated to Jerusalem as soon as practicable. The statement was a dramatic one, being called a deadly provocation, an act of diplomatic arson, and a big risk by the media. Others tried to make sense of it all, while noting that it put the Middle East on edge. Still, at least, evangelical Christians were happy. On social media and elsewhere, the reaction was swift. Prime Minister of Great Britain, Theresa May, said, We disagree with the U.S. decision to move its embassy to Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as the Israeli capital before a final status agreement. We believe it is unhelpful in terms of prospects for peace in the region, 
The British Embassy to Israel is based in Tel Aviv, and we have no plans to move it. Our position on the status of Jerusalem is clear and long-standing. It should be determined in a negotiated settlement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and Jerusalem should ultimately be the shared capital of the Israeli and Palestinian states. In line with relevant Security Council resolutions, we regard East Jerusalem as part of the occupied Palestinian territories. We share President Trump's desire to bring an end to this conflict. We welcome his commitment today to a two-state solution negotiated between the parties, and note the importance of his clear acknowledgement that the final status of Jerusalem, including the sovereign boundaries within the city, must be subject to negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians. We encourage the U.S. administration to now bring forward detailed proposals for an Israel-Palestinian settlement. There were large anti-American protests in Jerusalem, the West Bank, Gaza, Amman, Istanbul, Beirut, Cairo, Islamabad, Jakarta, etc. But it's all worth it because we got... Oh, wait, no, we got absolutely nothing for this. Sheesh. At the time of this reporting, things seem to be escalating. Rocket alarm sirens heard in southern Israel. The takeaway? Leave it to Stephen Colbert to try to find the silver lining. I'm surprised Trump didn't declare Jerusalem as America's capital. Then he'd be able to say, we have a wall. Frozen out. What happened? Russia got banned from the Winter Olympics. It was an ordeal. What really happened? Perhaps you remember outrage over Russian doping scandals at the 2014 Winter Olympics. The International Olympic Committee certainly does, and announced last week that Russia will be banned entirely from next year's Winter Olympics. Although Russian athletes would be able to compete if they tested clean and agreed to appear under the Olympic flag. Turns out the decision was not only well covered by a somewhat surprised media, but also somewhat controversial on social media, prompting some unusual responses. There were also, of course, the obvious jokes. But it's not like the U.S. would skip the games in solidarity or anything, right? Right. But this is definitely the year to go. With all those competitors out of the game, the odds for medals are so much better. The takeaway? White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about this during a briefing last Thursday, and she had a couple of answers, as it turned out. No official decision has been made on U.S. participation in the Winter Olympics. So, the U.S. going or not? Your guess is as good as anyone else's, it seems. One for you, two for me. What happened? The delicate balance between patrons and artists was upset last week when an outside party decided to make a somewhat inexplicable change. What really happened? Patron is a crowdfunding platform that many people rely upon to support their work, with the relationship between creators and funders being an important one that requires care, attention, and upkeep. It's definitely not one that either side is willing to mess with for no reason, but apparently that doesn't mean that the platform shares that kind of concern. The short version of those changes is that, starting December 18th, Patron will be changing its service fee structure and pushing the majority of processing charges onto the person pledging money, instead of the creator receiving the money. In theory, it means more money for the creator, but it also means that the funder has to pay more up front. So, a $1 pledge suddenly becomes $1.38, for example. The new service fee is 2.9% of the pledge plus 35 cents. Creators get 95% of the pledge, with everything else going to Patron. Those using Patron weren't too happy with the news. The media narrative quickly became that Patron's changes were likely to hurt smaller independent content creators, 
and it only took a brief look at social media to see how true that was. The takeaway? Well, surely this is all going to settle down and work in Patron's favor soon enough. There's definitely no way this is going to blow up in its face or anything. This podcast was made possible by Chubb. Hear how a burst pipe in a family's house led to an adventure. Right now. We walk inside and it's raining. Our home is ruined. We couldn't live there. Our first concern was the kids. This was going to be hard on them. Chubb got us a place to stay in the same school district. Otherwise, it could have been a nightmare. Chubb turned a disaster into an adventure for our kids. And no one missed a day of school? Hear more stories at chubb.com slash podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.